What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices. Joining us today is Andrea Matrosoffs, one of four candidates running for mayor in the town of the Blue Mountains municipal election. Andrea is a rural resident and local business owner of Wild Willow Studio in Clarksburg. For the last four years, she has also served on the Blue Mountains Council and on a various number of committees, including chair of the Finance Administration and Legal Services, co-chair of Sustainability Advisory Committee, chair of the Agricultural Advisory Committee, Blue Mountains Public Library Board Member, Vice Chair of Grace Sobel Conservation Authority, and Board Member of the Nottawasaga Valley Conservation Authority. Andrea has a long record of service to the community, volunteering in South Georgian Bay for 22 years, including in her leadership on non-for-profit boards. Prior to the election, she has taught at college, secondary, and elementary levels. Andrea lives with four generations of her family here in our Blue Mountains. Join us as we discuss Andrea's vision for the future, as well as key community issues. Welcome, Councillor Matrosoff, to a Blue Mountain Village Voices. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Good morning to you. You are a candidate for mayor in the town of the Blue Mountains. Congratulations for putting your hat in the ring and for uh, volunteering in this way to uh, to lead the community and to be a part of the next council team. Thank you. So wondering if we can start, if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and your history, sort of your, you know, your career history, as well as your history within the town of the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the town of the Blue Mountains, in this, this local region, I've been here since the year 2000, came up here with my two kids and uh, we began our life in Collingwood. And I found uh, within that first year, I found an empty property up in, up in Egypt, South mm. Duncan, close to Metcalf Rock, if anybody likes to do hiking up on the Bruce Trail there. Uh, and the best decision I ever made was to get that little parcel. And it was an empty parcel. So while we were building here, once we broke ground and started building here, I raised the kids in a little fixer-upper in Collingwood. I was teaching at the local high school, even taught my own son. Oh, really? <laughs> Collingwood and Collegiate and, uh, and Mountain View Elementary as well. So that's how we began our life up here. And it's now been over two decades. Wow. I think that teachers are incredible community builders, and I think they add so much value to families, communities. It's an undervalued profession, in my opinion, and I think it's one we need to celebrate more. Have you been uh, in touch with some of your former colleagues in the last few years? Do you have a sense of of how the education world is doing right now, post-pandemic, getting back to somewhat normal? Definitely. I still run, I still run into not just former colleagues, but former students. Mm, well. Of course. Madame Matrosovs <laughs> <laughs> walking down the street, uh, which is an incredible acclamation of, of what a community feel we have in this place. Yeah. Although we're growing a lot, it's still, there are still people that are connected to other people and we still recognize each other in the street. Uh, certainly the profession itself has undergone so many 
extra challenges through COVID. I cannot imagine. I actually finished my teaching career teaching at Niagara College uh, mm. to international students to bring their English level up to the point where they could continue with other college programs here or that they could return to their, their home countries with uh, an elevated prospect of promotion because oh, they wow. had English uh, under their belt as well. So so I did, I migra- migrated out of high school teaching uh, before any of these extra stresses came into play. But you know, the fact that I was a teacher is really rooted in part of the reason why I ran for politics, because it was seeing the scope of the families and what they're facing and the challenges that not just that student, but what their parents or their sisters and their brothers were were facing is what made me think that we really have to have a sustainable outlook on what a future community looks like. We need a place where everybody can find a home depending on their income level. We need to find a way in which we can keep the stratification of every age and stage in our community so that we can keep all of the wonderful services and and businesses operating, as well as providing a future for the young people. You're right. You do get that 360 degree view when you're a teacher because you're engaging with the kids. You're you have a one on one relationship with parents. You're doing you know theater nights where grandparents and family come. So you really do get to see the big picture and uh, and you 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 learn a lot about what's happening in the community from a needs perspective. Mm-hmm. And yeah. certainly, you know, back in the, when I was teaching at, at CCI, our high school graduates who might go off to college or university and come back still had a prospect of coming back here and picking up their lives here and being able to find an attainable place to live that match their young professional income. Uh, we've seen that change over the last decade. Yeah. And and I certainly have seen, uh, I've seen that from my own perspective of my own family. I, I live with four generations of my family. So my reason to run is, is at home every night when I come home and I see my 81 year old mother and my son with his family, his young family. This is what drives me to think about the whole picture about what kind of community, what kind of home we're providing for, not just now, not just this generation, but the generations down the road. Yeah. Yeah. That ability to have uh, lots of options for people at various stages of their life. Mm-hmm. And I think you've given us, my next question was about why you've chose to run, but I, I think you've already answered that, but you've given me a good sense. I'm wondering if you could share what your vision would be for the future of the town of Blue Mountains. What does it look like to you if we get everything right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the first thing we're already doing right is getting lots of community input on what our vision is going to be. But that is very that that is a very important important part to why I'm running for mayor now, why I've elected to to make a switch and to take a chance that I might not be on council if I'm not elected as mayor. Uh, It's because of the work that we have been doing over the last four four years. We have created some really good ground level strategies and, and plans that have steps and actions to come in the next term. And this is why I got concerned. I started getting concerned that I didn't want us to go backwards. I wanted us to continue on the progress that we had made. Um, you and I know because you sit on this, you sat on the sustainability advisory committee. We worked for years building that integrated community sustainability plan on the hard work that had been done by the sustainable path. What we came out with now, what we have in our hands are 20 bold actions that need to happen and they're accountable and they're measurable. We can circle to it and be accountable each and every year and check off the boxes we've accomplished and look at the ones that we have to still do work on. That's the reason why I'm running because I wanna see all of that hard work that we put in the last four years. And it's not just that plan, it's the transportation master plan, the leisure activity, plan, all of these to build 
a community for all ages and stages, it won't happen if we don't follow through. We can't just see those shelved and we can't see all that hard work go backwards. For sure. My perspective on it was I thought it was a good thing that this council did to dust off old plans or to refresh the ones that maybe didn't get traction and and sort of create a new baseline. But I think a lot of people in the community have a bit of impatience with some of that because they want to see action. What would you say to those folks who might not value all of the all of the strategic planning work that was done. Why was it important to do all that work and what is it going to allow us to do in the next term? I think it's a very sustainable approach because if you just try to fill gaps and create mini solutions to one specific problem, you're not seeing the whole picture. So you, we can't talk about where people are going to live without considering transportation. And, and circling back to the sustainability, I'm a big advocate. My, my vision, you asked, what is my vision? My vision for this community is where we are sustainable not just on an environmental level, but on a social, cultural, or a community level, as well as economic, because we can have the best laid plans to protect our environment. But if we don't have a solid backing behind it on how it works financially, it's not going to go anywhere. If we only focus on one of those three pillars, that can cause the delay, that can cause the impatience about, you know, how come I don't see something happening here? Because we've got to build that whole picture. And so to people who are frustrated that there hasn't been enough progress, my message is give us the mandate to act on the strategies that we've built. Give us the mandate to keep going forward and to check the boxes on all those steps, because those steps we didn't just create at that council table. I'm a big believer that the it, it, I call it the council circle, and you can visually see it in the chamber. We're sitting there. One third of the circle is the council table. Of course, it's shaped, you know, in the form of a circle. Another third is the staff who bring their expertise and their research and call in the experts and the task forces, create the advisory groups when they need to, to bring it forth to help us with an educated decision. And that third very vital circle is the public seating, (laughs) that it represents either virtually, now that we have the advantage of being able to participate virtually as well, or standing at the podium, making a deputation, or maybe sending a letter in, whatever kind of form that is, the third part of that circle is that community input. And if we don't move forward on the strategies that we've created in these last four years, then we're not doing service to all the effort that has come in from the community to build these actions and build these steps. And the investment made. So the municipality has invested a lot of uh, financial resources in these plans. So we really do need to see that get executed. Yep. Yep. It would break my heart if we go back to scratch and we, and these things just become another document that's filed in a virtual shelf somewhere. I wrote, my memory is getting longer and longer the, the more years that I um, work and contribute in the community. But I remember when the multi-municipal upper lower tier Georgian College Chambers of Commerce, businesses large and small collaborated on the Attainable Housing Task Force report. And uh, it was really robust. It was very regional. And I remember the findings being presented and then members of the past council at the time saying, yeah, we we did a, a, a housing report in 2010. Well, you're not saying anything new. And I couldn't believe it because... <laughs> Here we are, the plans that existed and they just weren't being actioned. So you heard the message. I heard the message that, okay, well, 
keep planning. We're not going to do anything. Right. And so. I think, I think a lot of people, that's the sentiment, whether they care about the official plan, whether they care about transportation or roads, I think they're getting worried that plans just get developed and action doesn't happen. So I think your message is clear. That's what you want to do is, is move it forward. Exactly. And we didn't just instantly construct this information we built on it. You know, the, the economic development strategy that we have with the steps and actions now well, yeah, we look to red, hot and blue. We look to the previous documents that have been done. But the key is, is that if those were done and then we didn't fulfill them with actions and mm-hmm. steps and next progress, uh, then that's what we needed to focus on in this particular term. And that's what we have done with the variety of plans, including the Integrated Community Sustainability Plan. Is there anything that you've seen in the last four years that has uh, delivered some good actionable results, like things that have made a difference or changed in the community that that you're particularly proud of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I certainly uh, and and I know that uh, I'm sure in the past in the spring when you had your conversation with Mayor Soever, you probably heard about capturing the missing assessments. Yeah. (laughs) So that is definitely a, a positive for the whole community. And what we're just looking for there is making sure that when things need to be assessed at a certain level, which translates to the tax rate, the, the taxes that are due from that particular property, that it's fairly shared. That That's what we want for every single taxpayer in this community, uh, whether people are here seasonally or whether they're here full time. We all pay the same dollars and we want to make sure that that's allocated. Uh, being able to capture that has been able to allow us to offer the services that a municipal government needs to offer to its community. It's been the key to helping us being able to keep our tax rates down, which is what we continue to try to strive to do. Doesn't get more measurable than that. Right. (laughs) Shifting gears a little bit, economic recovery and economic development. So, you know, we, we all know where we've been in the last few years and the major disruption. You've had a unique perspective on this, given that you've been on council and you've been, you know, working with your colleagues to look at the macro, but you're also yourself a business owner. I'm wondering if you have any perspectives for us, influenced by both of those spheres, on what is needed for economic recovery and what do you think the municipality, how can the municipality best contribute to that? Okay, well, it's kind of a two-part answer there because, uh, yes, I, I am a member of the Chamber of Commerce, the Blue Mountains Chamber mm-hmm. of Commerce. I, uh, my business is actually Wild Willow Farm and Studio, but what you see on the storefront in, in Clarksburg beside Hindle's Hardware is the Wild Willow Studio part of it. I share that as a collective with uh, other artists. I own and operate that business, and I invite other artists to come in to teach their classes as well as to show their, their local art and craft. Uh, one of them is my mother, a celebrated tapestry artist. Oh, cool. <laughs> who, um, you know, who provides classes there. So, and that certainly is the business model that I'm the most excited about when you can capture the talent that's in an area and say, how can we make this work together? Because I can't float that studio on my own. But if you can join in and teach what you teach, then we can expand the offerings to the community. Yeah. The ultimate co-creation model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and certainly as COVID has come out, you can imagine giving workshops is one of the first things that gets shut down during COVID. Yeah. So we have struggled through that, but coming out of it, people are really looking for a way to get out and meet some people. You know, my mother arrived here and moved in with us on the day of the lockdown when my father moved into Aaron Rung Nursing Home. And they came up from Newmarket and all those plans you have to introduce her to the, the wider arts community was shut down for two yeah. years. So it, it's a great opportunity to do that. But I 
own and operate that myself and my artist collective, they come in and they run their own classes. I am not reliant as other service businesses are on needing to have people to fill all the roles to run a business. And I'm not just talking, I'm talking about uh, service staff, for example, keeping restaurants open so that they're not having to be shut for two or three days of the week. But I'm also talking about every stratification of that, the management that is required, um, the management professionals, the HR professionals that you would need to be operating here, for example. Anyone on that spectrum that's in the working market is finding it hard to find attainable housing to match their level of income. And that's what I'm concerned with. And I would really like us to stretch that conversation away from just the restaurant that's closed on Monday. And 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 that is make or break for that particular business owner. That could be the end of their business. Like that is a serious concern on that side. But on the other side, the mayor and I have talked to young doctors who would love to come here after they've graduated and set up a practice, but they've got a huge student load, uh, debt load. They might have a young family. They might have a spouse who will have to vacate a job and find a job elsewhere. And their answer is love to come here, can't afford to live here. So let's just have the conversation right across the board. Let's stop thinking that it's only about a particular group of people that are finding it difficult to find a place to live and work within a reasonable distance from each other. Yeah. I mean, it is multi-sectoral and it impacts everyone. It impacts the municipality. The municipality is a $50 million operating business annually. And uh, having worked with a lot of staff members over the years, I mean, there's high turnover Mm -hmm. at the municipality for the same reasons that there's high turnover in in different businesses or the difficulty in recruiting because of those factors. Right. And it's not good enough to say, oh, well, then you should just live an hour away and commute in. Well, if we still have transportation issues to actually get people from one place to another, we can't just answer that. We don't operate the way that that in the GTA where you have much more of an infrastructure of transportation. Yeah. to allow people to actually leave a car behind or not have a car and be able to get from one community to another. We still have work to do in that particular area. And the geography is one of the challenges of that. Uh, certainly looking at a regional perspective, I, I'm a great advocate for that. Why reinvent the wheels in each and every municipality when we could be working together? But we do have we do have challenges that way because not only do we have independent municipalities and we've seen some success, like working with the Joint Physicians Recruitment and Retention Committee, being able to reach out and work together on a common project, uh, but we also have the county boundary, and then that even translates into the tourism districts, for example, yeah. you know, so uh, or Ministry of Transportation driving a line right between Simcoe County and, and right. Gray County. So I don't I don't think we're doing ourselves any favors by working to build these plans and strategies and then having them drop off at the edge of the political boundary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's nuance in that. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, let's just do this regionally and it makes sense. And I think intellectually, uh, that makes sense. But I think practically and realistically, there's so much to unpack in that. I can remember having conversations in the early days when we were um, working across those different upper and lower tier municipalities and we were talking about things like attainable housing. And there were municipalities in the South Georgian Bay, uh, I remember speaking to some mayors specifically, and their commentary was, we shoulder the largest burden of employee housing 
to service the town of the Blue Mountains because most people who work there in all sectors live in our municipality. And so their perspective was, you know, it's causing issues for us to be able to develop and grow and to provide more housing for our own industries and local government and and service sectors. So one of the things they were looking at at the time was for other municipalities to carry their own weight. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when we talk about regional approach, some of that is working together, but some of that is delivering an equal amount of effort within our own. I don't think you can, you can join into a regional concept without saying, and in our own backyard, we will supply the same. That's right. And, and that is really, that is the open page that I'd like to carry on with the conversations. You know, the Georgian Bay Institute does a great job of looking at if we're all on the same page, how do we each take responsibility for a part of that page? Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundle, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I'm curious to get your perspective on the current relationship with the upper tier municipality, which is Gray County, and what you think needs to change in that relationship going forward to better leverage it for the taxpayers in the town of the mountains. Right. And first of all, I'm I'm not an unknown entity at the county level because I'm the vice chair of Gray Solvo Conservation Authority. And more than half of those who sit at those conservation authority boards are mayors and deputy mayors. There, there are councillors such as myself. And I sit on Nottawasaga Valley Conservation Authority as well. So I also interact with colleagues who are over in Simcoe County too. And we there at the conservation authorities very much work on the concept of you need to look at the big picture first and then make sure that that each and every part and parcel or municipality is being serviced by what it needs. So uh, when we look at, at the watershed picture, for example, we, we have to look at where water flows and it doesn't care what the political boundaries are. So we have to have that kind of relationship building between the municipalities because if something is happening upstream, for example, we need to make sure that the neighboring municipality isn't going to have a negative impact on something that's happening further upstream. And I think it works in the same way with Gray County coming to Gray County Council with an openness to work together, but an advocacy for the needs that we have in our own municipality. So collaborative leadership is part of my background, you know, absolutely building on the same page that we have. And we have an upper tier. I mean, this is the way our province is structured. (laughs) So so that's not going going away anywhere. So let's leverage that to the best ability. So what I would like to see is I would like to see when we're putting in our tax dollars, for one thing, I would like fairness across the municipalities. So if we're capturing the missing assessment, that means also then that also changes the picture on what we're contributing to the county. So I'd like the other municipalities to be doing the same thing, capturing what they're missing and making sure that that's the the portion that needs to flow through to the county is flowing through. I think that would help create a better balance in terms of where the fiscal uh, contributions are coming from. But the other part of it is what we do with that money on the county level. So 
we have actually this summer. We we've enjoyed seeing some upgrades on Gray Row Two and and on Gray Row Thirteen. Lots of positive feedback. It's good to see some of those tax dollars we're sending that way coming back via the county into infrastructure right here in in the Blue Mountains. But what doesn't help is if we take those pooled together dollars as a county. And then we're doing things like sending that to fix a bridge in a far corner of a municipality that is not part of a regional transportation network. So what makes sense Mm. is how we can actually say, look, we recognize people have to get to get in the example of transportation, have to get from point A to point B. So let's make sure our tax dollars go through each of the municipalities to build that network so that we're not fractured. I think that would be a good place to start is to look where are the dollars going in Gray County and how much of that is for the greater good and how much of that is not going to have a return on investment for the other participating ministries. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is at that county level, identifying a list of needs where there's a high amount of alignment among all the different uh, lower tiers and that they're sort of prioritization with purpose. And I can see how that could be a real, that could be a real benefit. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's it's not easy to do. I, I saw the county's tourism team do a great job putting together a, a cycling master plan and then sort of go to each lower tier municipality and sort of try to get some alignment and feedback. And the, the challenge there is it takes long a long time. I think maybe they're um, planning first and engaging second, and maybe there's ways that they can improve that. But bottom line is th- those things take time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's something that could be done if you're elected mayor and you're one of those seats on council, do you have any ideas on how you could work with the county to get that collaboration happening faster, better? Well, one thing I look forward to is seeing who will be the new faces around the county table because there'll be transition and there'll be some yeah. people returning that will have an institutional recollection of what's been done before. Um, I, I think when it came to our, our own council, the fact that all of us were new in 2018, actually, it was a good opportunity. It allowed us. So typically, new people will come on to a county council yeah. or a municipal council and there there's a transition. There are some people that have been there for a while. I think that's advantageous to work with. I know that, you know, working with some of the the counterparts as I've been stepping in for the mayor when he was unable to fulfill the duties for the Great Lakes Cities and St. Lawrence initiative. And, you know, many of the Gray County sits at that seat. Of course, yeah. You know, Owen Sound sits at that seat too. So again, we can focus and capitalize on the common interest Mm -hmm. and not reinvent wheels. So let's make that let's let the county get behind the initiatives that are going to make sense to more than one municipality. I think that that is a good place to go. And then to to open the doors to collaborative conversation and looking for the areas where we can we can have the best wins for the dollars that we have to contribute. Yeah, makes uh, sense. Yeah, I have to go into it with that open mind. I cannot go into it with guns barreling and saying that's it, it you know, it's all or nothing for the Blue Mountains because they won't listen if that's the case. So we need to find the building points on where everybody's open and then be able to to advocate strategically where we need to to make sure that we're bringing home the best value for our town of the Blue Mountains. Yeah, the town of the Blue Mountains, I think, has done a really good job at capturing the ear of Queens Park mm-hmm. and advocating for itself on many issues like transportation or or housing 
How do you see that taking shape in the next council? Is that a role you're comfortable with? Oh, absolutely. Comfortable with and and it's imperative that we keep those conversations going. You know, and one of the things I appreciate about the municipal level politics is that it's not party oriented. So, mm, that's so true. we're all part of the party of the town of Blue Mountains. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually believe it's quite advantageous to us that both our MPP and our MP are former mayors of municipalities. That's a good point because they actually really understand that kind of stratification, the downloading we've been experiencing and how municipalities have been asked to navigate in fields where we never thought that was going to be on the municipal layer, you know, things like, like organizing volunteer COVID clinics and, and COVID vaccine clinics. And, and certainly all of the overlap we do with the province in terms of long-term care, it's not just a provincial thing. The municipalities have to be there as advocates and have to be there saying, yeah, if you have a plan for us, if you can allocate beds, we can figure out where to put them. So that kind of ongoing negotiation needs to happen, not just at the conferences where we do the delegations to the various ministries, but also on an ongoing basis with our representatives at the municipal and the federal level. Yeah, participating in provincial committees and task yeah. forces and all those yeah. sorts of and things. And I already ha- I've already been establishing that relationship with both Terry and with Brian. So, uh, you know, I cannot imagine going forward as mayor without constantly making sure that we're we're all on the same page when it comes to the layers of government that, yeah. that actually affect the daily lives of people who live here. Well, I'm glad you mentioned those two individuals. They're both great champions for the region and both in their unique ways really helped us uh, recover and uh, withstand everything we went through during COVID-19, both Terry and Brian. I think they were they were great champions of everyone in our community. I have a bit of a question for you on um, on transportation. Just wondering, if there's a lot of discussion about the needs. You know, here in the eastern part of the municipality, we've had a lot of growth. More residential properties have come on board. Traffic is changing. Uh, we have a lot of unfinished active transportation trails. We need things like traffic crossings and things like that. But of course, you know, this is just one part of the municipality. The whole municipality needs some some focus. So I'm wondering... What do you think council needs to do in the next term to advance the broader transportation investments and to satisfy the needs of all the different communities? Because we are ourselves in the town of Blue Mountains, a collection of amalgamated Mm -hmm. towns and hamlets. And how do we navigate that one? I think transportation is a big one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that's a good example, a good starting point of, yes, what I've always said, a community of communities. Mm -hmm. And, And here I am up in the very southwest corner, up on the mountain, south of Duncan, and you're very kitty corner yeah. <laughs> the northeast over here. So there, there is a wide spectrum of differences in what we expect in terms of being able to uh, connect our people together. I, I chose a rural life and I, I chose what that means to live on a gravel road and, you know, and, and no sidewalks, et cetera. And, and I embrace it. I absolutely love living where I live, but I also see a changing face here in the, the northeast quadrant. Um, I see lineups of children waiting for school buses in the morning in in subdivisions that were probably built and designed 10 or 15 years ago without the idea that it was going to become a family community. And we have to be prepared. We've learned in COVID that we had to be prepared for those kind of changes overnight, because if people had seasonal properties here, they could 
could literally decide that they're going to flip their their living conditions and and leave their their GTA home aside for the weekends and come here on a permanent basis and line up at the school to be added to a waiting list of 200 kids <laughs> you know yeah. so so certainly i think there's a changing face there and when it comes to transportation that's so very vital this is really part of the whole way in which we we build the sustainable vision and picture of the social the social cultural side of community is not just having a place that matches your income level to live in, but it's also about all the services that you require around it. Developers need to to figure out as we expand how they're going to be laying out their active transportation routes, but very much like we were just talking about, about how municipalities can act as silos, neither can we from development to development. We have to have a strategy, just like wildlife corridors. Yeah. <laughs> Humans need corridors too. We need to know that if somebody wants to get on their bike with their family and go from point A to point B, that there's going to be a way in which they can get there and that they're not going to be broken up along the way. I think one of the the true gems that we've had is the kind of public input process that we have here at council where people can input in all sorts of varieties. So if they're not comfortable or they don't have time or they can't make a deputation, they can still submit letters. The surveys is something that's been new. And and sometimes people have criticized saying there are too many surveys. But nonetheless, if we can put out all the possibilities of input, then we can get a greater picture on what it actually means to live here. So that's what I look forward to continuing in the next four years. And I think task forces are something that is really could be capitalized to make sure that we're actually getting on the ground feedback of what it means. So I would envision a task force, for example, when it comes to transportation that represents every community to make sure that there's somebody from each and every community of our communities there to say, ah, but you know what, It's it, that's a great plan, but there's a problem it, I can't get from here to here or Sorry, that that's a bit of a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, I think I understand what you're saying, which is respecting that there are different communities with different needs. And if you can engage them in the process, they will identify some of those pressure points that maybe the bigger plans miss. Yeah, exactly. How we get it off the page and and onto the, the boots on the ground who are actually there walking it or or driving it. We're talking about transportation. Um, so something that might look good in a plan, maybe it needs some tweaking because somebody who actually is going to experience that has a different perspective. And I think we've been quite fortunate in this particular term of council that we've had representation from all over. Councillor Sampson comes from the windfall area, so he's been able to say, here's what's really going on in this particular way. So what I'm careful about is that we don't know what the composition might be in the next council. So we have to make sure that it's not just those seven people, again, that it's the council circle. And if that means reaching out and saying, could we just have maybe even task force is too much of a commitment, but could we have several sessions out here where community members can come and say, here's what I think about this particular plan. Here's where I think there could be some issues. I truly believe that that is the new emerging model of governance post COVID. And I think it's been brewing and and needed for quite some time. So we, even if I look at our Blue Mountain Village Association community and ecosystem, we are a membership based group with so many different diverse stakeholders, and we have a you know a board of directors and it's representative of all those folks. But what our members are asking us is for them to be more involved than ever before. 
and I embrace that as a, as a community builder and as a, a sort of an association executive and leader, I know that that brings the best results. But it is it is a cultural shift for organizations, not-for-profits, advocacy groups, municipalities, because you really have to develop your processes. You have to train your staff. You have to be ready to open up for the voices to come forward. Right. And be ready to act on those voices. That's right. And to be inclusive. That's right. To make sure that people feel like they have a place and a way in which they can contribute and that they can then see that that input has been taken and preserved and moved on into the next process. If in the end, it might not be what your picture was, you know, but to at least know that your input was heard and that it was balanced against the other inputs and that we came mm-hmm. out. Do you think that we've done a good job on that front in the municipality? Yeah, I think we have. I think we are putting out, uh, we have so many opportunities in which members can can provide input. And, and I think to be nimble, to be respectful of the fact that working age people cannot necessarily show up in person yeah. and make a deputation. But if they can be alerted by the clerk when their particular item is coming up and then they can log on virtually from wherever they're working, that changes the game so that they can say, okay, great, I'll take my lunch hour break at this time and I'll be able to actually participate. Um, I think those are good examples. And it's something I, I definitely would never want to lose as a lesson that we've experienced through COVID is that virtual interaction. Because so many of our, our members of the community here might not necessarily be here on a regular full-time basis, but they're still paying their taxes. They still have a property here. They still need to have an avenue in which they can put that input. And down the road, and they, sustainably, that might become their forever home. For sure. So, yeah. So. And what I've learned about those cohorts, they really care about the community. Yes, uh, just as much as someone who lives here full-time. And you're right, they're looking to the future. And I I would say some of the part-time owners are almost the most protective of our community. I want to sort of wrap up talking with you a little bit about sustainability Mm -hmm. and also about community character. So I I wonder if you could just elaborate a little bit on your vision of sustainability and what you think this next council really needs to prioritize. What do you think is, is really next on the sustainability front? For one thing, I want us to make sure that we're looking at each and every community within our greater community as needing to have a wide range of services and housing. So we have to stop this concept that this particular neighborhood is going to be you know, more or less seasonal properties where people are going to come up and yeah. ski on the weekends. No, we have to look at each and every neighborhood we build here as Where are the kids in this community going to go to school? Where are they going to play? Where's the playground going to be? I remember years ago, the Mayor Mills over in Collingwood area, they had scheduled that they were going to do tennis courts because they thought that those townhouses were going to be attractive to retirees and that that would make sense. They scrapped that plan and they added a playground Mm -hmm. and they realized how many families were moving into those more modest homes, right? So that is a sustainable vision for the future is that there are housing options in each of our of our communities that we build, we cannot be Thornbury Clarksburg centric. We have to respect the fact that the population is growing right along the settlement area and match the services provided along those settlement areas as well. So when we're talking about building new facilities, we have to consider where's the best place within the town of the Blue Mountains, not necessarily where the existing one is or where we need to, to branch out. That will be a sustainable picture as well. Tied in parcel with that is making sure that there are housing options. I get frustrated when we hear presentations coming from developers where they say, 
well, of course we we have to build at least 2,500 square feet. The average square footage is now 3,100 square feet. I raised my kids in a fixer upper in Collingwood with no basement at 1,200 square feet. Like, let's bring the conversation back to the options. Let's yeah. give people a chance to say, I'm okay with living in smaller square footage because it's a it's a place where I can live and raise my family and be able to work within a reasonable distance. Yeah. And there is some arguments about those smaller footprint properties being ecologically uh, supportive. Yep. I fully support that this this current council, we did agree to the uh, the changes in the, uh, the official plan in phase one that's in the document that was presented to, and that includes looking up and building up because, and this is part of the reason why I also voted to defer any further work on the, the official plan to the next council, because I really do believe that the phase one and the phase two of that work has to be done in consideration. Phase two is going to include environmental impacts. Well, you can't have a conversation about density and about height without considering the the ecological impact as well. That's fair. But that said, all the work that was done in phase one came to us in the form of a report. We supported it in principle because in it says, look, there are places within the community where we could build up, we could build four or five or six stories. We could make sure that we're respecting the 45 degree angle to make sure that it's not something where it's right there beside your sidewalk, but that it actually builds it in. And that's where I bring in the the, the environmental impact as well. So the green space and the open space around that building will also be enhancing the lives of the people that live there, but also the people that live around it as well. So social, cultural and environmental sustainability have to go hand in hand. And in order to attract developers to be able to build the mix of housing that we need to demand now, we need to make sure that it's a fiscal picture that that makes sense to the builders as well. So in order for them to be able to come and say, well, look, I can provide you three stories, but if you went to four or five, the rental units now would be a hundred dollars cheaper a month. That's a serious conversation that we need to have. Yeah. That's net benefit to the community. Exactly. On the specifically the natural environment, climate change and environmental sustainability. Is there any low-hanging fruit that you see in the next four years where we're poised to make some changes to make an impact? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for one thing, we can carry on on some of the work that we have done. So returning to the milestones, for example, um, for climate action, for uh, lessening our carbon footprint. We started as a, as a community, we got to milestone two, and then it dropped off. So now we're back on track. So there, there's low-hanging fruit, something that we're doing that we can continue to do and with the support of the changes that are coming from Gray County Council matching. So Mm -hmm. Gray County Council is also looking at reducing the carbon footprint. That's low-hanging fruit when we can say, hey, we're on the same page. So that is literally like within the municipal operations making changes to drop the greenhouse gas. Yeah, there's one one particular piece. The other part that I believe can be low-hanging fruit is considering our natural assets as we do our built assets. So the work that I've been completing in my Master's of Arts in Community Studies has been focused on why so few communities across Canada have adopted the practice of valuing and managing their natural assets the way that they do their built assets. So we have a calculated value for what our stormwater management systems, mm-hmm. our bridges, et cetera, what they cost us, what they what their value is as time goes on and how best to manage them to make sure we get the best lifetime out of them. We can do the same approach with our natural assets. And if trees, for example, with the root structure are already providing stormwater management, 
then why would we upend that and then spend money constructing the exact same (laughs) result? Yeah, Yeah. energy-based system. Yeah, exactly. So in my opinion, that is low-hanging fruit because it makes sense. It makes sense economically, it makes sense environmentally, and it makes sense from a community or social cultural perspective. And we are taking those steps. We have now, in my term, we have now registered to begin the work of municipal natural asset management. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, with with some some of the groups where I've taken courses from, you know, we're 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 now logged in and in the queue to be part of the next community cohort that will mm. become that. And part of that is our natural heritage study. So we have the budgeting for it, we have the plan for it to do that. So to know what we have in the area first is also going to be a, a key step. I have to use that mindset when looking at the the village common lands because I think we fall into that same trap. Yeah. Where we're we're valuing the built assets versus the natural and and maybe not effectively assessing how they they can benefit. Yeah. That's very good, uh, low hanging fruit. Okay. I want to ask you a question about community character. At the most recent town hall, one of the candidates running talked about community character in terms of uh, it being not very well defined. I'm wondering if uh, you have a definition of what community character is. Right. Well, I do agree that we need more definition to it because if that's going to be held up as, well, the community thinks that character is the most important, we need to actually unpack that and say, what do you mean by character? Because when I think of character, I think of a holistic community in which there's a place for every age and stage of life. To me, that is character of a community. How we choose to do a facade on a building, yeah, you know, we could we can look at what works and what doesn't. You know, I I wouldn't advocate that the Beaver Valley Community Center is is uh, the pinnacle of of architectural design. <laughs> it's serving a purpose, though, so it's providing a community hub in which people can come and feel like they belong and participate in programs. So, I think. Community character goes beyond what something looks like. It includes what a community looks like, but it's also who's in that community and who feels welcome in that community. And I think we need to take a hard look on how we use that term and that definition going forward. It's the start of a conversation. It's a building point. It's a grow point for us to say, okay, look, this is coming up again and again. So let's sit down and actually understand if we're all on the same page. So does that mean that, for example, we talked about that we carry on with the existing official plan and say nothing can be more than three stories? No, I think you can continue to preserve character in a community, but build up because you're also paying attention to the open space and the green space around that building. And you're preserving and enhancing what can be done around that building and green space. And that too is character of a community. Yeah. It's a good perspective. And I think looking at how to define that as a community is, I think, an important thing. I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us to uh, have a conversation, to share your time with our listeners, members of the community, members of the Blue Mountain Village community, as well as the whole town and, and beyond. Volunteerism is a very important part of our community, and I commend anyone who puts their hat in the ring to run for council and then to to run for mayor. And uh, you know, one of the things that I've appreciated about your work in serving the community is I see your bias toward action, and I see your your focus. You've mentioned the twenty bold action steps a number of times, and uh, I think that is a really that is a really important. Uh, mindset and a, a strong contributor to the community. And I think you're dialed into what people are looking for. So I just want to congratulate you for that. And thank you for your service. 
Well, thank you very much. But I'd also like to um, thank the Village Association and your advocacy work because you're helping to bring voices together. And when we can hear from community groups, that is a great step forward in keeping that dialogue going. And the key, of course, is making sure that when a community group comes forward, that it's it's representing and it's getting the feedback from all the community members. And and I see that loud and clear in the work that you do and the outreach that you do to your community members, especially when many of your membership aren't necessarily here on a daily basis and they need to be tapped in as well. It's so important. And, uh, you know, it's so important that everybody gets out and votes whether it's for me or not, just go ahead, exercise your democratic right to make choices. Don't feel that because you're not living here on a permanent basis that that somehow your vote shouldn't count as much as another person's. It counts just as much because you're helping us shape a community that you love yourself. Your membership has, for whatever reason, whether they're operating a business here or whether they're coming here to ski on weekends, they have a passion and a love for this community. And that vote counts and that voice counts. So thank you for the work that your association does by trying to keep people in the loop as much as possible and be able to channel as much of that voice to council as we consider decisions that have an effect in uh, the Blue Mountain Village area. It is our pleasure and we are thrilled to to be that conduit and information source and, and champion of uh, engagement. So thanks again and we wish you all the best of luck in the campaign to come. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices, a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association. For more, go to bluemountainvillage.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.